Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of King of Pro Wrestling. Uh, PJ and I are here today to talk not only about Road to Dantaku, but also to discuss WrestleMania weekend, because uh, why wouldn't we? Uh, so, Paul, why don't you uh, go ahead and get us into uh, New Japan news and notes? Well, obviously, it's been kind of a quiet time for New Japan. Um, I know they have five Road to Dankaku shows coming up. I think they start on Friday the 13th. Um, is there anything on those that jump out at you as must-see? Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually so I'm looking at stuff right now uh, just to take a look. I mean, obviously, we're getting you know lots of the multi-man, you know, six-man tags and everything just to help set things up. Um, and I, I, I think... I mean, there's an eight-man um, on that first night that is uh, Hiromu, Bushi, Sonata, and Evil against El Desperado, Kanemaru, um, and then KES, uh, which should be pretty damn interesting. Um, I, I think that that one might be, uh, you know, a lot of fun because you basically, you know, you basically have potential there for like IWGP Junior Heavyweight, you know, champ challengers between. Um, uh, 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 help me out. My, my brain isn't working here, man. It's, it's been a long, long weekend. Um, between Ooh. LIJ yeah. and uh, Suzuki-gun. So uh, so I think that that's pretty cool um, and, and should be good. And then, of course, you got the 10-man main event, which, I mean, anytime you get Okada and Tanahashi standing across the ring from one another, you, you know, you got good stuff. And then, I mean, they also, again, just keep, you know, they're keeping setting up all that wonderful stuff with the... Um, uh, with these big tag matches, because you've also got Osprey and Kushida in there, uh, Jay White and Finley. So it's, I, I, I mean, I love stuff like that because they always tell such good stories, and it'll be fun because it's an elimination match, which is something that they don't necessarily do a lot of. So it's just, a, it's a great opportunity to see, uh, see something a little bit different. Yeah, they on the second night they do the same match, only they add Naito on one side and Suzuki on the other. So oh, nice. It, yeah, and it, it, they do it two nights in a row because they do it the second and the third night. That's great. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, you're going to get a ton of man, multi-man matches to get us ready for the two shows that are coming up later in the month, which is, is surprising. The the actual wrestling at uh, Wrestling Dantaku show this, this year is two nights. Yeah, that's right. I, a lot of people are surprised about that. I, I mean, it, it makes sense because they've got so much good stuff going on right now. Uh, and, and again, just the way that they always utilize those multi-man so well, it's a perfect opportunity to keep building not only for Dantaku, but also towards Dominion, which is going to be, I think, uh, the, the sort of like the culmination of a lot of this stuff. You know, it's one of their biggest cards of the year. And I, I think that that's not to say that Dantaku is not going to be great, but I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, Dantaku is going to help to set stuff up for Dominion in a way that, you know, they don't necessarily do, obviously, with their other big cards of the year. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, it's it's not going to be on the level of Dominion, but it's, it's definitely going to keep the ball moving and keep a lot of these storylines going. Like, surprisingly, there's matches that I thought we would see on there, like um, Goto versus Juice, which it, right. they're, they're holding out on. Um, Finley versus Jay White, they're holding out on. I mean, they just have them in the multi-mans, even at Wrestling Dantaku. So I, I'm assuming there's two matches you're probably going to see at Dominion. Right. You know? How about uh, the second night of the actual Wrestling Dantaku show? Did you see the Bullet Club Civil War match? Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm just going to say did. for anybody who hasn't seen this yet, you have Tonga Loa, Tama Tonga, Bad Luck Valet, Kota Ibushi, and Kenny Omega versus 
the the Young Bucks, Marty Scroll, Hangman Page, and Cody. Yeah, man. It's I, I mean, and the thing that's amazing about that second night is that you know you're getting a match like that, uh, which quite frankly. Not for New Japan, don't mistake me, but I that's a main event caliber match for for like Ring of Honor or for you know any of the like super indies here in the United States. And and so to get that match and it and it not not only is it not the main event, it's not even really the co-main event because you've also got Osprey and Kushida that night. Yeah, and for anybody who hasn't seen the main event is Okada and Tanahashi for the title, which the interesting part of the story there is that Okada is trying to break Tanahashi's record. Up. Well, right now they're both tied with 11 title defenses, which yeah. is just great logical storytelling. Okada has to beat Tanahashi to break his record. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I, it's, you know, and here's here's the great thing about that. The way that Gato set everything up you know, for the past year and a half almost, is that Tanahashi is the logical person, and and it's the best case scenario, and it's and it's the match that I think should be that 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 record breaker match, and I and I think without trying to you know say yes or no definitively or anything, uh, that obviously the majority of predictions are probably going to be that Okada is going to beat Tanahashi and is going to break that record and is going to keep that title. Um, it's yeah, well, we've, we've seen how predictions in New Japan have gone before. I mean, well, how many people thought that Naito was walking out of Wrestle Kingdom with the belt? Yeah, it's you know, here's the thing about that. I think that a lot of people that thought that were newcomers to New Japan and were people that hadn't necessarily... They, they This isn't to say that, you know, they didn't under... They don't understand wrestling... It's just that they understand that North American style of wrestling. And so I think that it's the same thing with Mania. You know, we'll get to this later, but everybody thought Roman Reigns was walking out of there with the title. And Lesnar still beat him. And I think that that goes against a lot of what we've kind of been trained as North American wrestling fans. And so, you know, Okada retaining against Naito in the Dome was the same sort of thing. And I think that uh, just to have the opportunity to create this incredible story around Okada and the idea that he, you know, is, is the chosen one is, is the new ace of the company. Um, it, it just makes a lot of sense. And the point that I was getting to is that, you know, he's toppled all these other challengers who could have, again, logically been the person to step up, whether it be Naito or even Omega or something like that. So to have the all roads basically lead back to Tanahashi, I think is, 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 is perfect. And what a brilliant decision on their part to not have Tanahashi win the new Japan cup. To, to yeah. give a new, somebody else the main event spot to hold, and to hold Tanahashi for this spot where it's his 12th title defense. Because it yeah. could have been very easy for them to have him just win the New Japan Cup, put him into that match, you know, and sold it as he was tying the record. But, Absolutely. You know, I mean, how many times have we said to each other, in Gato, we trust? It yeah. just seems <laughs> like he has a good idea where he wants to go months ahead of it time. Absolutely. They don't, and they don't panic book. If something no. doesn't work right away, they, they stick with it. They don't call audibles right in the middle of a storyline, you know. And right. it's, it's amazing, like, their perseverance and how they book, how it pays off over a long time, you know. And, and like, even, even booking decisions they make, it's, it's amazing with 
logic takes place. Like even in a multi-man tag, who gets the pin? Who eats the pin? These all play out in stories later on and set things up. I mean, if you look at Juice Robinson is basically going to get a match against Goto for his title because he pinned him in a multi-man tag match. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's something to be said for the multi-man tags uh, kind of stuff that they've been doing. And and it's something that is is not, you know, I mean, obviously it's not new, but in particular, a lot of what they've been doing over the past decade and using these multi-man tags the way that they have, um, it's very reminiscent, you know, even more so than the way that New Japan was doing stuff. Uh, it's very reminiscent of what All Japan did in the early and mid-90s because so many of the stories that they built in the early and mid-90s played out over these multi-man tags to the point that, you know, when you finally got that, that triple crown match between, like, Misawa and Kobashi or, or, you know, or Kawada or, you know, anyone Misawa faced for that matter, it had been built up so perfectly that it wasn't even just, like you say, like, who ate the pin. It was, like, what move was used to get the first takedown. It was, you know, who who took things outside the ring and, you know, busted uh, Akira Taui open. You know what I mean? Like, there was just so much yeah. that went into it. And New Japan, well, they've always had these multi-man matches, and they've always used them, you know, as, as sort of triggers for those big main event one-on-one contests. The intricacies that the way they've been laid out, because, again, it's not even necessarily just about who's going to eat a pin. It's also about who did what to somebody outside the ring or who used what move on someone to interfere in a match, and it, and it all comes into play. And it's beautiful because then, you know, it, it, it gets into the nuts and bolts of what that storytelling aspect of professional wrestling really is. It's not some guy doing a 20 minute promo it's not a backstage segment where two guys you know goof off for 15 minutes it's actually literally about i use this move you use that move we build a story based off of that oh your arms hurt now i'm coming after your arm you know all that sort of psychology that's built within the ring and and nobody right now no company on the face of the planet is better at that than new japan pro wrestling oh i totally agree but it's an amazing difference between the two companies, and, and not only the companies, how North American or I should say Western audiences look at wrestling. We will tune into a big-time New Japan pay-per-view type match or type card and be excited about a 10-man tag match. But if we watch a Raw or a SmackDown and the main event is a, is a regular tag match, <laughs> yeah. it's it's a throwaway match. It's a garbage yep. match. Like, we'll go to bed early if we work in the morning. Um they, they've made it, and I think part of that is that WWE has so many hours of TV to fill that yeah. a lot of it becomes filler. And the way that New Japan doesn't have, like, a weekly TV show, they, they present it more like real fight cards, plays right. into that. You yeah, know? well, and that's another thing that's, you know, mentioned the real fight cards, that's another thing that's beautiful about those multi-mans is that it's a wonderful opportunity to recognize the fact that these guys, you know, were working hard, they get hurt, they get, you know, it, it makes logical sense that if I have, you know, what's the other thing that makes G1 so interesting as well, but if I have two guys square off in a main event one-on-one, why the hell would I want to put them into a one-on-one match the very next night? It makes more sense to put them into that multi-man because they're, they're beaten down, they're tired. That match, that one-on-one contest had you know consequences and we need to recognize those consequences and now I'm going to say well I'm going to put him in this match and you see it all the time especially like Okada is so great at doing this about going into those multi-man matches after having like a big you know, especially like after the dome um, when they do like New Beginning or something and, and he'll come in and he, he's taped up or he's limping around or he's you know he's selling all the work that was done at, at, at the dome and, and you know he might not even be in the ring a lot or if he is in the ring somebody 
who you don't think normally would be able to get the best of them is getting the best of them. And they've built wonderful stories out of that. Even like, you know, some of the Sonata stuff, for instance, that, you know, when he, when he, when he took on Sonata was kind of built out of the idea that like Sonata got an advantage because, I mean, Sonata's great, but also because Okada was hurt, you know, he was hurting his neck and backwards. Yeah. Sonata was fresh. Mm -hmm. I mean, but if you look at how they do things, not only like you said it too, who wants to see a singles match the next night? I mean, WWE, we just went through WrestleMania. How many of these matches are we going to get in rematch form between now and Backlash? Like, it's just, it's a product of WWE that, especially Mm -hmm. if a title changes hands because they have that rematch clause. Like, if you look at New Japan, for example, the Omega Okada match at Wrestle Kingdom was gigantic. They didn't turn right around at New Beginning and do a rematch. They didn't do it in Genesis. They waited all the way to Dominion. And by the time they got there, people wanted to see it so bad. They don't dilute their product. They don't undercut their own match. Definitely not. Well, that's one of the things, you know, it's it's a light complaint because the, the match was so good. It was just enjoyable to watch, and they're two incredible workers. But... I didn't understand why the hell you would have Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins less than a week before WrestleMania when the two of them are in a triple threat match with The Miz. And then especially you have Balor get beat by Rollins, and then you turn right around and Rollins ends up winning the triple threat match. It almost makes me say, why the hell was Balor in the triple threat match? Like, why didn't you just have, you know, Balor Rollins for the number one contender? And I'll tell you why, and it's and it's terrible that you and I can have this conversation in a way, but the reason why is because they didn't trust The Miz to be able to put on a WrestleMania-caliber match with just Rollins, so they knew they'd put somebody like Balor in. Now we've got an interesting match with the three of these guys, but logical sense doesn't dictate that I'm going to have Balor drop a fall to the guy who's going to win the whole match less than a week later. Well, not only that, too. You want to talk about that real quick? Like... You have Rollins and Miz and Balor in the same match. And right before that, during the buildup, they kept having Rollins and Balor tagged together. And there was no heat between them at all. Like, I understand they're they're quote-unquote good guys, but they're so wrapped up in how they present them that, like, if you take New Japan, for example, Okada is a, I guess he's a tweener, but he's kind of the good guy. Sure, right. But... Look at what happened once Tanahani, Tanahashi challenged him. Yeah. If you, I don't know if you saw the translation of what he said at the ring, but he called him a bastard. He was yeah. ragging on him. Like, how could you, if you're Finn Bauer or Seth Rollins, and you're, we're going to try to book this logically, wouldn't there be some heat with the other guy, or at least an uneasiness, or like this undercurrent of waiting to get kind of screwed over by the other guy or something like they're just tagging and smiling i mean and, and it's seth rollins who's a history of burning everybody right you know i mean we just we just <laughs> we're just supposed to forget about that because he's a good guy now and, and it just it, it made it hard to buy into the whole hype into the match yeah and it's and it's odd to me too because you know you see a lot of wwe booking these days where it, they don't seem to care as much if someone is is considered a face or a heel. It's just sort of go out there and do this, and however the audience reacts, they react. And I know some people don't like that. Me, I don't mind as much, especially when it comes to, like, Roman Reigns booking. Like, I am I am not a Roman Reigns fan. I think that there's been some stuff that he's done, no, especially in the no. past six months. Don't say it. No, You're not a Roman Reigns fan? 
No, 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 no. Uh, but there, but there's been a few things that he has done in the past six months that I have been able to enjoy. Um, you know, and it didn't, it didn't end up having the impact that they wanted it to. But as I was watching it, I was able to say, at least there's some fire there and it feels new and different. You know, the way that he was calling out Brock Lesnar for not showing up, but and they all this already stuff, completely manufactured. They had already ruined Roman Reigns style before oh, they God, did that. Yes. And another thing too, like you look at new Japan, right? You can make an argument that they're shoving Okada down everybody's throat. He's constantly winning, holding the belt, holding the belt. But at least you could sit there and make the argument that it makes sense. He's the best wrestler on the planet. Yeah. I mean, this Roman Reigns constantly getting jammed down everybody's throat when people who are watching it know he's not the best worker on the card. He's right. not the best entertainer on the card. No. He's just the handpicked guy by management. And and the unfortunate thing is he's not a bad worker. And he seems like a, a pretty decent guy, and he can carry a match, and he can put on entertaining matches. But they put him in such a horrible position with booking over the last couple of years that there's no way for them to get him out with the fans. No. And the thing is, is that I don't disagree with anything that you just said about him as a wrestler, but I will add this one thing. The biggest problem I have with him is that he's he's so one-dimensional. And even when they had him doing the whole, you know, I'm not a good guy, I'm not a bad guy, I'm the guy stuff, it still came off so one-dimensional. Like, right away, it was just like, that's all there is to you. And again, I agree that he can have good matches, but they're, they're very one-dimensional matches. There's just not a lot of depth to what he does. And this isn't me sitting there but saying what like, he, he does, needs more he does moves. well. Exactly. Because I like you, you know, especially like I remember during like the late nineties, early two thousands, you'd get so many people talking about like, well, he only does three moves. Truth of the matter is if you do three moves, you do them really well and you know when to do them, then you're going to be a better worker than a guy that knows a hundred moves and doesn't know what the fuck he's doing with them. And so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't prescribe to that theory at all. That said, I do think that he comes off very one dimensional. And, and the truth is it's like, You've see, if you've seen one Roman Reigns match, you've kind of seen them all. And that's the issue that I have. Whereas with Okada, he continually proves that you, you can't just see one Okada match. You know, you think about Okada versus Omega. All three of those matches were different. That said, they're still Okada versus Omega. But then you compare that to Okada versus Naito or, dear God, Okada versus, you know, Okada. Zach. Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, and it's completely different. So there's depth to what he can do. Oh, I totally if- agree. I, I'm yeah. just trying to make the point that I don't, and, and I didn't mean to compare Roman Reigns' work to Okada. But sure. I'm just trying to make the point that Roman Reigns is not a bad worker. It's, no. He's not world-class, but he's good at what he does, and he can get away with it being the big, bruising powerhouse. You don't need a lot of moves. But right. they it's almost like they pulled the trigger too... And everybody would say they do it too fast. It's almost like they did it too slow. Because if you remember the Royal Rumble the one year when he got down to the final two, all yeah. the fans wanted him to win in the worst way. Yeah. What was that, against Batista, I think? Yeah. Yeah, oh. you know what it was so fascinating because I, that rumble in particular, like it had, it had so many things working against it. Because one, the the crowd wanted Daniel Bryan in that match more than anything. Poor Rey Mysterio. Yeah, right. But then when they realized, when they realized that you know maybe they weren't going to get him as the match wore on before number thirty, so they still thought maybe, but they you know they hadn't seen him yet. They got behind Punk and like and, and Punk, you know, for a good portion of that match was the most over guy in, in the Rumble. And then 
you know, Reigns started getting all these eliminations. And you're right, the crowd was really behind him. And then the problem was, is, is they fucked up because you've got Batista and, and everybody starts to see the writing on the wall and they don't want Batista. You eliminate Punk and everybody's like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then you don't have Daniel Bryan come out number 30. And then you have Roman Reigns, who was arguably at that point the most over guy in the match, get eliminated too. And it's like, great. Great. Now we're getting exactly what we knew we were going to get that we didn't want. And, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about this well, before. Well, they went through a whole stretch where that's all they did. I mean, yeah. I think, was it the following year when Roman Reigns won, they put him, the final three, I think, were what, him, Kane, and Big Show? Oh, and God. if you remember, they did that because they knew nobody wanted Big Show or Kane in the main event at WrestleMania yeah. in a futile attempt to get the crowd behind Roman Reigns. And, right. And, you know, it just seems like, Every year, when they get to that rumble, they pick the wrong guy, or at least until recently. Until this year. This year, yes. this year for both of those rumbles, they were booked so perfectly. Um, but you know what? Before, before we, because I actually do think we should talk a little bit and touch a little bit, especially on the men's uh, side of things, uh, before we talk about mania. But before and we do that. You steer the ship, buddy. I just, I've been known to go on <laughs> rants and tangents, and that's why you're the host. Yeah, and that's why cat. we're here. We're co-hosts, man, co-hosts. Uh, <laughs> let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I want to say right off the bat, unabashedly, that I love the Hall of Fame show. Oh, and, I'm a total mark for the Hall of Fame. Now, that said, <laughs> I think you and I will both agree it's often long. There are often some speeches where you're just sort of like, you're not as funny as you think you are. You're rambling, you know, get to a point, like entertain me or yeah, something like I that. I agree. But most of these people at least earn the right to, to go a little long. Like, listen, yes. little long is one thing. It, we're not talking like a couple of years ago, lead along. Oh God, I know. Oh, I mean, I felt yeah. like I wanted to just turn it off and I like lead up, but at a certain yeah. point, well, let's go through. I mean, this year, who was the first so, group that got, who got inducted? You know what? Actually, so uh, I want to do something a little bit different here. I want to start with the legacy okay. inductees. Okay. And the legacy inductees were actually the last to be announced, but because they don't really get the spotlight, I thought it might be interesting to talk and, about And some I can't of them. believe a couple of these people that are legacy inductions that are just like a press release and that's it. Yeah. Like, I, like okay, like you have, let's see, Sam Stasiak, who I know he didn't hold the belt long, but is a former WWE champion. Right. Right. If you're somebody like of my age, you grew up with Lord Alfred Hayes. Yes. To be just passed over. I mean, and, and I don't know how, for people that didn't watch a lot of WCW during the eighties and nineties, but I mean, Hiro Matsuda, right. I mean, not only some of the people that he's trained and put in the business, plus his work. Um, what was it? The Japanese wrestling Alliance, Ricky yep. Dozen's thing. But then he also was part of the, uh, the four horsemen. I, I forget what they called it. The Yamakaze company. That when sounds they, right. I think he yeah. was there, and then and then it was in a group with the Funks, the G Tex company or corporation. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, this guy's done a lot. I mean, Boris Malenko. Some of these, like, and I'm going to be honest with you, some of these guys on here I never heard of. So the okay, so the the, the name on here the most that you know, a he's oh, I'm passed. sorry, El Santo. Oh yeah, well, El, yeah, El Santo is a huge, huge, huge name. Um, I, I, I mean, he's. You know, you 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 go to Mexico and, and, and you say that name, and I, I mean he's bigger than than Hogan. You know what I mean? He's bigger than, and not bigger than Hogan in Mexico, but bigger than what we think of uh, as Hogan as North American wrestling fans. Yeah. I mean, he 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 was incredibly huge. I mean, he was in like you know they made a movie series for him, like thirty plus films that he starred in that that were you know the reason why there were thirty plus of them is because they were hits at the theaters. You know. Um, 
he got buried with his mask on because he wasn't going to, you know, even even in death, you know, wasn't going to break that tradition. Um, you know, stanzas, whether or not literally a, a great wrestler, the most recognizable and one of the most iconic uh, Lucha Libre performers ever. Uh, but the name that really stood out to me, and I was very excited that got into the Hall of Fame and never expected to certainly see, you know, sort of the individual recognition that we see with the, the main guys, if you will, uh, actually was Sputnik Monroe. And the reason why I bring Sputnik Monroe up is because, uh, first of all, there's this wonderful documentary about Memphis wrestling called Memphis Heat. Um, and he, he gets the spotlight shown on him quite a bit, especially in like the first half of the documentary. And Sputnik was um, uh, a former Marine, a uh, legit tough guy. Uh, he and, and a wrestler by the name of Billy Wicks would go out there and, and just, you know, beat the hell out of one another. And they used to do, you know, I've read about it in books before, and I certainly don't want to talk about it like I know what it is, but I know having read from it that... Um, there is, and, and, and Cactus Jack, uh, you know, McFoley and Terry Funk have talked about this as well a little bit. There is a way, uh, in particular with like, because of the way the brow bone is shaped to hit someone, uh, over the eyebrow and bust them open hard way. Uh, but do it, you know, and Brock Lesnar is actually pretty good at it as well, apparently, but, uh, apparently he's world class at it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and so the idea is, is that, yeah, you basically use a sharp part of your body, whether it's a knuckle or an elbow, um, to make that bone on bone contact, which is splits the skin open. And so, you know, I'm sure that there were blades involved at some point, but that said, for the most part, Billy Wicks and Sputnik Monroe just go out there and beat the ever-loving shit out of one another in order to bust each other open. Um, And there's some pretty graphic pics that are shown in the documentary of these guys having done that. Uh, But the thing that he's probably most well-known for now is that he would go out go down to Beale Street and go to a lot of like the um the black blues clubs and one night he was in one and and uh some white cops saw him walking into this black blues club and they went in and they arrested him and it's so strange because you know you hear stuff obviously about in the south about you know a young black man goes to sit down on the lunch counter and gets you know beaten up or thrown in jail uh in, you know in the, in the 40s 50s and 60s but to think about a white wrestler walking into a black club and then white police officers arrest him because they, you know, they, they don't think he should be going in there. Well, the promoter, you know, kind of pulled him aside. I was like, Hey Sputnik, we don't want you going in there anymore. And he's like, you know, why not? And the truth of the matter is if you look up in the balconies where you, you know, it's the only place you'll let them sit is, you know, it's, it's nothing but, but black people coming in here and they're loving what they're seeing. You know, we should let them sit, sit down where everybody else does. They're paying the same amount of money. And so he actually helped to integrate the audiences in Memphis and there's also a famous story about how he went um, into the office to collect his pay, and the guy in front of him said, um, you know, I can't believe we're letting all these black people into the audience. And Sputnik Monroe turns to the promoter and says, hey, I'll tell you what, from now on, only pay him out of the white people's money, and yeah. we'll see how he likes it. You know, and so it's, it, he has it, just it such an interesting too, story. that at the time, he was one of the biggest draws. It said he refused to perform until black patrons were allowed to seat in any seat they wanted at the Ellis Auditorium. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was he was a he was a cool guy, you know. HBO actually uh, is developing a movie about his life, uh, which should be really really interesting. You, you would um, think, I mean, not to you know get on a tangent, but you would think WWE would have made more out of that. I yeah. mean, for public relations, if no other reason, you know, like more than just a, a press release. Like here he is. Well, and the thing, and I, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it, it, it is how they look at things. There's not a lot of video footage from it, so they can't oh, sell it. 
You know what I mean? And it's, that's horrible, but it's really, I mean, that's how they look at it. They're, they're looking at it like, I can't sell this. You know, all I can do is I can, and that's terrible. Um, but it, but it's, it is what it is. And it's, you know, they, they're always going to kind of think that way. And I, and, and all, you know, certainly I respect the fact that they're, they're doing this legacy stuff anyway, because there are a lot of people that are getting some amount of recognition, um, that deserve it. And, you know, and, and like, um, you've got Cora Combs on here who, uh, you know, was, a, sort of a pioneer, uh, of women's wrestling. Um, and, and, and I think that, uh, it's, you know, it's obviously important to recognize that with everything that they've been doing. Uh, and then Jim Londos actually, uh, it's really cool that he's on here because he, like this guy was, again, you were talking about how Sputnik Monroe was a big draw. Like Londos was a huge no. draw. The golden um, Greek. Yeah. Back in the day. And, um, it's funny because uh, the the owner um, and creator of that wrestling game that I mentioned in the last episode, uh, Champions of the Galaxy, when he started doing the Legends of the Res- uh, of Wrestling game that kind of supplements it, uh, one of the first wrestlers he released as a card was Jim Londos because uh, his family's Greek, and so they were huge fans of his. And that's the thing, especially in the Northeast, a lot of promotions really would appeal to the different nationalities. And WWE, WWE you know, WWWF at the time yeah. was so good at that you know you had oh, to have why, an irish wrestler why Italian do you think hulk Bruno. hogan's hulk hogan right because they didn't have an irish star at the time an irish and American why, star and why do you think bruno was at, at the top for so long you know you got this italian guy you're in new york city like of course he's gonna be you know he's gonna be over yeah. um so anyway yeah so so those uh uh oh, oh oh we forgot actually real quick uh rufus jones um who was uh you know, a, a top black star in the 70s and 80s, uh, mostly in like the mid-Atlantic um, and, you know, held a few titles down there. Uh, was also, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty good draw uh, at the time. And then Dara Singh, uh, who was one of the very first um, Indian wrestlers really to, to reach a, a good deal of popularity. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there, there we have the uh, legacy uh inductees uh but now on to the main show who did we have up first well let's instead of talking about who went first let's talk about somebody that deserved it more than all those people yeah and that of course is kid rock i mean (laughs) when we have where sputman sputnik monroe is a press release and kid rock is on a stage accepting the award you know it just goes to show yeah but um i believe first was the dudleys correct yep you got it and they were inducted by edge and christian they were indeed. They were indeed. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because they even brought that up during their speech about how, uh, you know, some people apparently uh, on the Internet had uh, been upset that Paul Heyman wasn't inducting them and felt like Heyman should be the one to induct them. And rightfully so. They, you know, recognized the fact that Heyman certainly, you know, was there for their beginning. But if it wouldn't have been for Edge and Christian and, of oh, course, I the heard. Hardys as well, the well, Dudleys... Didn't Edge and Christian make a joke about it? They said one of the reasons we're doing it not in Paul's because we don't owe the money. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. which was great. Uh, there, there were some good zingers actually. Uh, yeah. uh, I thought uh, over the course of the evening. Oh, um, Devon had some of the great lines of the night. Oh yeah, he did. Well, and and then of course you know Bubba uh, at one point says uh, you wait until our last night to be entertaining, which yeah. I thought was was a pretty good one. But but uh, uh, my you, general takeaway from that though was I thought Edge and Christian were good. They were funny. I thought the Dudleys were good. I, I thought they didn't go overly long or anything. They kept it moving right along. They you know yeah. they they thanked you. They needed to thank. They they got some laughs. 
and um, you know, they got a, a little point there where they thanked their families and got serious. But overall, yeah. I thought it was especially a good f- way to start. Yes, I completely agree, and and I thought that it was great that they that they gave the shout out they gave to Spike because I, you know, it's it's difficult for me in some ways to to accept that he wasn't up there with them. Uh, I don't know the circumstances of you know of, of, of his departure from the company. I know that he's not. I you know, well, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he's not wrestling anymore. I never see him like you know on independent cards or anything like that. But there was a little part of me that was sort of like, man, shouldn't Spike be up there too? Um, but I also really appreciated the fact that the way that they thanked Tommy Dreamer because you know Dreamer for a while there was basically booking the company. Uh, you know they're legit friends in real life um, and and there was a while where the hottest feud in ECW was the Dudleys versus Tommy Dreamer um, yeah. you know, they, they broke Beulah's neck they, they they ran you know everybody out they ran Sandman out of ECW you know at the end of the day it was like you know Tommy Dreamer you're all by yourself and uh, and so it was you know I thought that that was um, and they, they got a good nice. zinger on them when they talked about the 300 pound elephant in the room yeah. speaking of elephants Tommy Dreamer yeah, yeah, which is no. great because I don't know if anybody follows it, but actually on Twitter, uh, Bubba and uh, and Dreamer go back and forth like trading fat jokes at the other's expense, which is which is pretty hilarious sometimes. Nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I thought the the sort of the, the curtain call, if you will, with uh, the Hardys and, oh, and Edge Christian. And, and yeah, I thought that was great. Um, am am oh, I the only one too? And I know it's years years removed, but as soon as they all got up there, I still try to watch the reaction between Edge and Matt Hardy. Like, I, oh. I still want to see what they're going to... Like, I know they're not going to get into a fight, but I want to see right. if the hug seems forced or if it's a handshake. And it, it generally seemed fine. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, let's face it, they both have clearly moved on. They're married to different people. They have kids with uh, somebody, but, you know. But, but you still got always going to be a little bit down there, isn't there? I mean... Yeah, you got a thing. Uh, you got it, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention they then indeed put somebody through a table because they they did they played this bit where uh, it's like they were getting their you know played off with their music and this production assistant comes out and he's like I'm sorry guys you got to you know you got to get off the stage and you know of course they grabbed a table set it up and power bomb this poor poor son of a bitch it was through fitting. it so <laughs> yeah um, we got Ivory uh, which you know it was really great to see her Ugh. up there. Um, she she looks great. She she's got a wonderful attitude. Clearly, there are a lot of people that really like her. I think that her story, starting off, you know, in Glow, uh, and particularly with the popularity of, of Glow on Netflix and everything, it, it's kind of the right time in a lot of ways. She did a lot in the course of her career, and I thought they covered that wonderfully. But I can kind of sense by your groan that you might be thinking the same thing well, I am, which is like that speech went, was a little. It yeah. went too long. Yeah. Um, and listen, I'm nobody to critique somebody's voice, okay? I listened to our first <laughs> podcast to hear how it came out, and I hate my own voice. But her voice goes right through me. Yeah. She, this whole thing about the it being a wedding, uh, she lost me at yeah. some point. Like, I get what she was saying. I, I don't think it was terrible. It just, no. I don't think it was the worst of the night. But uh, no. it wasn't the best. And But I did, I did uh, think that Molly Holly did a really nice job of inducting her. Yeah, isn't it's she always great? good to see Molly. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like Molly Holly? Yeah, and and, and yeah, I mean, she's in, in some ways. I, I I think that she's incredibly underrated. I, I think that she's just you know she was an excellent worker and uh, you know had amazing personality. Was so committed. And I, I think sort of 
it seems to me that behind the scenes, you know, she's kind of quiet and introverted, um, and who knows, you know, how, how that might have affected her career or whatever, but she always, she always went out there and did her job and did it well, and, and yeah, she's, she's awesome. Um, so let's see here, we got, uh, well, I'm just going in the order here that it's listed on, on, on the website, so I honestly don't know if this is the order that it was in, but, uh, Jeff Jarrett, um, yeah. This isn't which, the order, but that's fine because I'm pretty sure the second person that got inducted was Hillbilly Jim. That's what I thought too, actually, as I was reading through this list. But we'll get to him later. Yeah, it doesn't um, matter. Do we have to? <laughs> I know, right? Because I thought uh, that was the worst of the night. Well, let's just do him right now then. Hillbilly Jim, uh, and it, it was difficult because I I wanted it to be good. I wanted, I wanted it to be great, and I thought the general idea was great about opportunity and yeah. you're never going to know when opportunity knocks and don't pass it by but at some point I just stopped caring and I yeah. don't think it was I don't it was long I don't think it was like super long but it was too long for for my taste I lost interest was very slow he spoke very slowly he took lots of pauses it you know it, it just didn't quite feel like it had the energy that some of these other speeches had. And there were a couple times where, you know, it, it got a little emotional. You could tell that he was, you know, a little overwhelmed by it. And it's clear that, like, he's, you know, he's a good WWE soldier. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, that and, man and, and has... you got to like the fact when you see somebody up there and you realize it means something to them. I, yeah. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Right. You know, he, he was moved at certain points. You could tell he wasn't there just to be there. He He honored, he was honored to be there. Yeah. So, I mean, speech aside, good for him. I, I, I think that if if we were to, which there's no reason to, you know, Dave Meltzer gets it absolutely right. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really cover the Hall of Fame in any sort of like journalistic way. He usually kind of just says, like, these are the people that got in. And that's it. Like he doesn't he rarely comments or says, like, they deserve to or don't deserve to be in because for him, it's not. It's not really a legitimate Hall of Fame. Do you no, know what I it's mean? not. It's the WWE's version of the Hall of Fame. And there's people that are obviously should be in there that aren't because they didn't get along with Vince or left the company under bad circumstances. And there's some people that are going to get in there that probably don't deserve it because they were good, loyal WWE soldiers. Yeah. But it's at the end of the day, it's entertainment. I mean, it's it's a Hall of Fame based off of a sport where the wins and losses are predetermined. Right. So, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to get too wrapped up in who belongs and who doesn't, but it's Absolutely. nice to see when they do get in. I completely agree. And, and I think the nostalgia factor of it, and especially for somebody like Hillbilly Jim with the, you know, uh, rock and wrestling connection is pretty great. Uh, one thing we should mention real quick is Jimmy Hart did the introduction for him. Um, and uh, I thought his, his introduction was, you know, was very well done. Um, didn't didn't really expect any less. But um, so let's go ahead and then uh, get back to Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, uh, Road Dog ends up doing the intro for him. Uh, thought it was very well done. Jarrett comes out. You know, I... I I always have very mixed feelings about Jeff Jarrett because there are times when I think that, you know, he's a very talented individual um, or talented enough anyway uh, and, and, and put together, you know, some really good matches. But I would certainly argue that the bulk of his best work happened in TNA, you know. Well, yeah, but I also look without them coming right out and saying that I think that was part of the whole thing because they talked numerously like n numerous occasions about his contribution to wrestling and how there's a lot of people that are in the WWE now or in wrestling now that owe their start to Jeff Jarrett yeah. or owe like so they without bringing it up it, it, 
right like directly they they hinted around all the accomplishments he did outside of the WWE. Yeah. Like even when they did, I don't know if you watched, but on like on their Facebook, they put these um these little videos out throughout the week and a lot of them were him being backstage at SmackDown or whatever. And it and it like the first thing they showed was him and AJ Styles and AJ talking about how Jeff Jarrett made helped make his career, how we started him. So yeah. they didn't they didn't gloss over it. They just didn't go into great detail about it. Right. And I think that, you know, the thing that's the thing that's great about Jarrett in a lot of ways is that there's a certain level of, of history that he kind of represents within the business and not even necessarily his own personal history, but the connections that he has to so much of that history. Well, uh, your you start, father is Jerry Jarrett. Yeah. I mean, starting in know. Memphis, you know, being in that in that hotbed, uh, you know, going down to Texas and you know doing the whole USWA stuff, uh, you know, the, you know having the stints in WWF and WCW and kind of bouncing back and forth during the Monday Night Wars. Like, you know, it's clear that he was always and, and, he, and you know he he almost always really had a belt around his waist. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he, it's not like it's the, I think that he gets shit on sometimes, uh, by people. Uh, and I don't know how deserved that is. Um, I'm again, I'm not trying to say he's the greatest thing ever, but, uh, I certainly have an appreciation for him. And I, and even more than that, I think that the way that he has gotten his life together recently is, is commendable because it's clear that he was having some difficulties going through a pretty dark time. And, and, you know, uh, anytime somebody can kind of get themselves out of that and, and get away from, you know, the booze and the drugs and everything, uh, you know, you're better for it and, and we're better for it. And I think that's worth appreciating on its own. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Jeff Jarrett. Um, the, there's a, guy here in the city I live in that owns um, a wrestling school and they put shows on and uh, about two years ago they put on a a joint show with Global Force at the local arena and Jeff Jarrett was there and Cole Cabana and it was a whole bunch of guys, Sanjay Dute so we got to go to the meet and greet before and Jeff Jarrett couldn't have been any nicer, not only to me but my son, he was just a super nice guy and um, the thing about it too is when I talk to this guy I know that owns the company or owns the school, I'm sorry, he talks about how, like, now Jeff Jarrett's coming back in to do a wrestling seminar, and he talks about how Jeff Jarrett cares about these young guys, cares about the future of the business, wants to make sure these guys are trained the right way, taught the right way, so it it does seem like that he's very giving in that regard, and, you know, you're always going to hear mixed stories, and I think a lot of that, too, is, like, the infamous time he shook Vince down for more money before the China job, right? um, which... I, when I talked to this guy who knows him, he says that Jeff Jarrett's side of that story was that he didn't want more money. He wanted all the money he had coming to him guaranteed at once because he felt like when he went to WCW, those checks were going to take forever to get to him. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. who knows? I, well, you know, I, I had heard kind of a similar story. It wasn't necessary because the truth of the matter is he went out there that night without a contract. Hey. Like he was no longer a contracted that WWF employee. That wasn't his screw up. That was theirs. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so you know, so good for him. Uh, I, I thought that, that the speech was good. I, I, you know, I love the fact that he mentioned Owen. I love the fact that he, um, uh, you know, name checked his dad. I think that you know, one of the things is that some maybe more casual fans or listeners that might not know is so you know Jerry Jarrett is, is has been kind of the. I mean, one of the most respected bookers in wrestling for you know thirty five plus years. Um, he, he he was pretty much you know born into the business in, in a way because his mom was selling tickets and worked her way up into the office at one point, and he started promoting shows when he was like a teenager. Um, 
and eventually, you know, took over that Memphis territory because he thought that the that you know Nick Goulas and stuff was running it into the ground. So he, you know, he and, and Jerry Lawler really, you know, just made that one of the hottest territories in the country. And it's amazing when you think about it and how much money they were making because they. It's not like they had as much reach as a lot of the other territories did. Um, and, uh, you know, Jim Ross has said this numerous times. He always said, you know, if Jerry, if Jerry Lawler had gotten, you know, more exposure in the late 70s and early 80s, he could have been one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling. Um, yeah. But he, you know, he had that loyalty to Memphis. And then not only that, an interesting story that... that I, I don't know. There are some people that say it's fact. I think even Meltzer is like, this is a fact. There are other people that say that it, it was a rumor. But when Vince was worried that he was going to go to jail for the steroid trials, uh, he had already made the decision that Jerry Jarrett was going to take over the WWF while he was in jail. Um, and I, know, I, think- I had always heard that as fact. Um, I heard that presented as fact from... Um, I think it was Bruce Pritchard and somebody yeah. else that basically said that he had Jerry Jarrett lined up because if he went to jail, he Jerry Jarrett was going to run the promotion because he was the only person he would trust that wouldn't screw it up and wouldn't try to take it over. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that speaks a lot to, to, to him, you know, and uh, so it was cool to see him get that shout out. You know, it was, it was cool for, for, for um, you know, Jeff mentioned some other folks. It's also interesting and impossible to not note the fact that, you know, he shows up with uh, with his wife, Karen, who, of course, is the former Karen Angle. And yeah. Kurt is sitting front row, you know, with Ronda out there because, you know, he's going to take part in one of the biggest matches at Mania. And from what I've heard, they're fine. I mean, hell, they were wrestling each other after it all happened. And they turned it into a storyline in TNA, but kind of like what you were saying with uh, you know with Matt and Edge, it's like sure everything's cool, but how cool is it? You know, <laughs> it, it is what it is. I mean, right? I, I think the only real difference there was Kurt Angle, and he's told his side of the story that he knows it was his own destructive behavior that created that situation in the first place. Yeah. So like, where Matt Matt Hardy was basically a victim, but right. Whatever. It is what it yeah. is. They all seem like they're happy now, so good for them. Right. Well, and uh, he also didn't at one point, didn't he also say, uh, he, he said something about Shawn Michaels, because um, the, there was like a, a hair versus hair match or something Oh, yeah, like that, he talked he about lost. getting his head shaved at Madison Square Garden, and yeah. he, uh, he made reference to Shawn cutting his ponytail off and telling him he was 20, 20 years late. Yeah, yeah, which which is which is pretty damn funny. Um, so yeah, and then of course Road Dog comes out and they end up singing uh, an awful rendition. Yeah, of, but who cares if it was awful? It was it fine. Was, it was yeah, it was great. It it's was, it's, it was a it's lot not of supposed fun. to be perfect. It was no. what it was. It was funny. The people enjoyed it. It was kind of like when Michael Hayes and them were doing the free bird thing the year yeah. before. You know. Yep. Well, you, but I will. I gotta say one thing about it. When they were performing, they're they're going out to different members of the audience and having them sing along with them. And at one point, they come up to Zack Ryder, and Zack acts like he doesn't really know the song, and then busts out like perfectly into the like the second verse of the song, which nobody really knows. And yeah, he said like, he didn't oh, know it, and they're like the second verse is like okay, and just went. Yeah, and it's like, oh, come on, Zach. We know you know that song. You're like the biggest fan in the world. You probably know, like, all the lyrics to all the songs. Um, but anyway, yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, also, quick mention, too, Zach Ryder was there with his girlfriend, uh, Chelsea Green, uh, um, Laurel Van Ness, uh, yeah. formerly in TNA, uh, who I get to see this weekend, um, and, which I thought was cool. And, and certainly, I think, you know, she's she's definitely one of those talents, um, you know, working in the independents right now that has a legit shot at being in WWE because she's fantastic. Um, anyway, uh, so let's see. We've got I think Kid the, Rock was next. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything to say about Kid Rock personally. Um, Because I'm trying really hard not to let my own political views or anything play into it. Um, The only thing I took away from – the only two things I took away from it were he generally did seem happy about it. And um, he mentioned politics a little bit. He, you know, he made a joke about body slamming Democrats, which was funny. But, um, but then he, had, he said something about politics and everybody needs to get along and all that. And then he, he'll turn right around and go on Twitter and put something ridiculously awful. So yeah. to me, that line was a little hypocritical. But I, I tried to just view it through the eyes of, I mean, first of all, it's the celebrity wing of the Hall of Fame. Right. It is what it is. I mean, I guess the guy's performed enough at WWE events. He's, you know, he's done a WrestleMania, he's done Raw, he's done Tribute to the Troops, so I, I get that. But um, I just don't like the fact that every year we have to have a celebrity induction, whether it seems deserving or not. Yeah, it, you know, I, it's weird because I'm, I'm with you, like a celebrity wing, whatever, you know, bring people in. But you think about it, it's like we've had Drew Carey, you know, we've had, like, I, I don't know, I, I, I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's been whatever. people that have been inducted that deserve it more than others. Yeah, you sure, can say whatever sure. you want about Mr. T played an integral role in WrestleMania yes. One. His, his, you know, Mike Tyson played an integral role in, in WrestleMania Fourteen. Yep. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So I get it, but I, 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 you know, this podcast is probably gonna be long enough. I don't really think we need to talk too much about Kid Rock. Nah, no, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, although I will say real quick that Triple H was the gave the intro, and man, it was like he he went out there and he got fired up and did everything he could to just be like, you know, this guy, this guy deserves to be in there, and you know, we're gonna. We're gonna put him over, but uh, yeah, which hey, whatever. It's always good. To yeah, see he did a good job there. He, he I mean, yeah. Um, um, the next. Let's talk about the Warrior uh, Award was next. Yes. So two things about that. I figure we've got this podcast. I can make this statement. I cannot criticize specifically what they have done with this spot in the Hall of Fame because they have used it as a way to you know put the spotlight on some people. Um, that, that clearly have dealt with adversity and done it in, in a graceful way and, you know, usually have, have come out as, as, as winners. And have um, helped others. You know, and have like helped it. others, exactly. Uh, that said... Not uh, what the award was supposed to be, was it's it? Not, no, it's not, what, it's not at all what Ultimate Warrior was talking about. Furthermore, if you are going to bow to the pressures of Snickers when they, uh, you know, find out that Moolah had some questionable skeletons in her closet uh, and and change the name of your battle royal, um, why the hell are you still freaking celebrating Ultimate Warrior? And I know it's I know it's money, and I know Vince and Linda loved him, but the thing is, is some of the shit that oh, this he guy was said... A, oh, he said horrible, horrible, horrible things. things. He and, said homophobic things. He said, you know... Oh, I and agree. The thi- and some but people, see, the problem is because he's dead, and they already have the award. Right. I think... And, you know, the timing of it, they they announced the award right after he talked about it and passed away. Yeah. So I think it was one of those things. And, and, and we as a society, for whatever reason, we will overlook things like that if they've already been established. Sure. You know what I mean? If this was the May Young Battle Royal and they've had it for five years and then all of a sudden this stuff came out, people wouldn't have had such a big deal about it. 
Yeah, because it's no, you know it is what it is. It's true, and and I will say, you know, I, I, I tend to. I mean, again, you know, we're not here to talk about politics, but I, I tend to be, you know, fairly liberal about things. Uh, um, but I will say that there is something to be said for extending a certain amount of compassion or enough compassion, anyways, to understand that. Sometimes where people came from and what people said, uh, you know, we we shouldn't necessarily police that and criticize that at all times. No, and, and people and, change. And scrutinize that exactly in such a way that disallows you know the spirit of something good that they did being celebrated. So, all of that said, our oh, I'm with you. Award, but you have the warrior award, and when we're talking about it, and I, and I'll sit there and say, oh, he said all this awful stuff, but then. If you ask me about Hulk Hogan, I'm all for him coming back. So maybe I'm, you know, because he seems contrite about it. It is what it is. I've heard, I've seen numerous African-American wrestlers defend him. But I I know, I know what you're saying. It's just that they're not going to change the award after the fact. Right. And Um, I guess as far as what the award was originally supposed to be and what it's turned into isn't such a big deal only because it's given out every year by his wife. So it's basically the family giving their approval to what it is. But wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if, and obviously you're not going to call it the the Warrior Award, but wouldn't it be great if we did eventually get what he was talking about? Because you got guys like, you know, Jim Johnston, for instance. Yeah, or, who's he, never going to be recognized or by the mainstream, like the, the, the mass audience. Yeah. They don't go out of their way to make a big deal about him. And he's done as much for WWE as anybody. Absolutely. I mean, if you go if you go back to the like, even the beginning when it, it was started getting big, the rock and wrestling era and right through, music played a huge role. I mean – I, you can still, to this day, I hear a song, a wrestling song, and identify it instantly with the wrestler. Yes, exactly. It, it's become part, it's just as much a part of the wrestler as their ring attire and their finishing move, their music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, 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 all you got to do is, is, is say, say the, the, the name, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you can hear that entrance music. You know, uh, uh, Bret Hart, you, you can hear his entrance music. I mean, some of those entrance themes are so iconic that, well, it's, and- that it's inseparable. Yeah, and look at every time when a wrestler does a run-in or comes out unexpectedly. Even now, they don't just come running out. Their music hits, and it's the cue that everybody turns and looks because they know within a note or two of the song who it is. Yeah. And that that's even when some of the newer guys, guys that have been there a year, their songs are so ingrained into your, if you watch all the time. Right? I I know. And, I I mean, I love it. I love it. Um, But speaking of the award, I thought the kid was great. That's what I was getting ready to say. Yeah, J.J. JJ Robinson was awesome. I thought he was hilarious. I thought, you know, the crashing on the Miz, uh, uh, you know, the jokes that he had. And whether or not, I mean, I, I, I don't know what they did or prepared for him or what, but he just was so full of life and so much fun. And it was a unique contrast to some of the wrestlers. So maybe they prepped the shit out of him. Maybe he was reading from a teleprompter the whole time. Whatever. I don't care. But the energy that he brought to it all was just yeah. lovely. And, well, he, brought and, a, and, he brought a child's energy to it. You yeah. know what I mean? He was funny. He was energetic. He was happy to be there. He was, and what, he only spoke for a couple minutes. Then he yeah. yelled Jerry us out and jumped off the podium and ran. 
Right. And it was awesome. It was awesome to see. And, you know, clearly his family was so excited to have him up there. And I, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a really great moment. And again, like, you know, we were saying someone who's battled such adversity in his life and, and not only, uh, has come out the other side, but again, is doing things to help other people. Uh, I think that that is worth recognizing. And so all the other crap aside, you know, good, good for that. And good for him. Good on the kid. Yeah. And he was great. Um, Mark Henry. This was the highlight of the night for yeah, me. Yeah, it was. Not I agree. just his speech, but Mark Henry himself. Like, yeah. and and I understand why the main eventers get like the get put where they are in the show, but to me, in having his entire what almost twenty year career in WWE and everything he's done there, like I I feel he should have been last over Goldberg. And I understand it's Goldberg is the is a huge name, but you're talking about a guy who wrestled in W except for his last little run, he wrestled in WWE for a year. He wrestled yeah. in WCW for what three, it's you know. And I'm not trying I'm not trying to under understate what Bill Goldberg did because he hit like a meteor, and and it was fast and it was it was you know it was what it was he was mainstream but you know you're a guy like mark henry who spent his entire career in the wwe has been a champ multiple championships um been an ambassador for their be a star campaign has been an ambassador for the wrestlemania reads campaign uh, i just felt like he shouldn't have been overshadowed by anybody well you know here's the thing i would i would say to that that because of the way that he presented himself and because of everything that you just said, in my opinion, even though he might not have gone on last, he was not overshadowed by anybody. You know what I mean? And no, I, I get that, but but, but, I, but down, I, I also I mean, understand what you're saying. It, it, it is unfortunate. Um, but it also, you know, again, just the, the way I think the way that. The, the, the way that we see and I, I'm not trying to parade myself as any expert, the business works there's, uh, you know, something to be said for Goldberg being the headliner, if you will. Um, but, but to Mark Henry, because he deserves to, to just be spoken about as Mark Henry, the speech was wonderful. Uh, he, you know, he, he painted a wonderful story from the beginning of his career all the way up until present day. Uh, he thanked all the people that, as, as a fan watching him through the years, I felt like he should be thanking. I thought it was perfect that Big Show did the introduction for him. Uh, it was wonderful to hear him talk about, you know, Ron Simmons, to talk about The Rock. Uh, it was it was incredible to hear him talk about his training, um, you know, and going from, you know, Memphis to Canada and, and training, you know, with the hearts and all that sort of stuff. The most emotional moment of the evening, even oh. after some pretty incredible emotional moments. Is this what he said to Pannon? Zoom in. Yeah. And, yeah. and and spoke not only about Owen Hart, but spoke specifically to his widow and said that he should be here. And and, and I loved how he prefaced it, too. He said, this isn't the company asking me to yeah. do this. This isn't, you know, that was generally heartfelt from him. And then, like, you're watching that as a human being. You can't help but get a little emotional. But then when he talked about his son and said, I haven't been in touch as much as I should have. And, yeah. like, holy God. Yeah. No, I know. It was it busted me up. And, you know, it was it was the the second time in the night that Owen had been brought up pretty strongly because, I mean, obviously, Jeff Jarrett talked about him. Well, we're, um, and this is going to continue to happen because all these guys from that era, era are going to yeah. be going in over the next couple of years. And, you know, not that I knew the guy, but just from when you read or heard, it sounded like everybody liked Owen Hart. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, 
you know, you read it in Foley's book, uh, you know, hell, even just hearing his, you know, hearing his brother talk about him here, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, you hear so many, so many incredible stories about him. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, yeah, you don't find anybody that's going to say a bad word about him, except for maybe Stone Cold Steve Austin after SummerSlam. But other than that, <laughs> but even now, I mean, no, you no, know, now, Stone Cold. I mean, the, the worst I've fine. ever heard Stone Cold say about after that was that he just didn't appreciate the fact that for whatever reason Owen didn't get in touch with him at the hospital and apologize. And he, and I've even heard Brett say that Owen made a mistake with that. But I yeah. mean that's one small thing in the guy's life that you well know, and. And apparently, uh, what I what I had read, um, and it might have even been in Jim Ross's book, uh, is that Owen went to talk to Jim Ross about it because he was so he, he felt so bad, and and again, you know, everyone was so surprised because it's like here's a guy who was pretty much perfect in the ring, you know, and and no, and he made a, he made that one mistake. Can happen um, to anybody. I mean, even the best. Right? And, and and you know, not that it's easy for me to say I didn't have my neck broke, but I would think. Stone Cold, of all people, would be somewhat understanding of the situation because I'm pretty sure he was on the other end of that in Japan once. I can't remember who he wrestled, but he botched a pile driver and broke a guy's neck. Yeah. I can't remember for the life of me off the top of my head who it was. But no, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I, I think that I, I would certainly say, and I certainly don't think you disagree with me, that, yeah, Owen deserves to be there uh, as much as we can talk about the fact that it's, you know, maybe it's not a, like a legit Hall of Fame or whatever bullshit. It's The truth is, is that, yeah, I mean, if you're going to put people in there, I mean, Owen Hart should definitely be in there. He's responsible for some of the most entertaining moments in, in the WWF in the 1990s. Um, I think that the circumstances of, of his death have luckily, in my mind, have been far overshadowed and outweighed by what he did in the ring and the joy that he brought to me as a young wrestling fan. I got to see him live, you know, a couple of times, I'll never forget, as a kid um, in St. Louis. And, um, you know, this would have been in like 92, 93. So it was... you know, right around that spot where he was really starting to kind of to, to break out and, you know, getting ready to do all the feuding with Brett and everything. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was, he, he was just great and, and had, you know, I mean, had so much energy and it was just fun to watch and fun to hate at times. Uh, and I just remember being so busted up the, the, you know, the night after he died and watching that, that yeah. raw. Um, so yeah, I, I think it would be awesome if he was there. I thought it was beautiful the way that Mark Henry called it out. I, I'm just, I hope, that she allows it to happen because obviously as a fan, but you know what my fear is if she doesn't, this is going to go on for a period of time and then eventually he's just going to be a legacy induction and it'll be basically a press release Yeah, because like that, that's just the only other way they can put him in. Just say, Hey, he's cause I don't think she can stop them from saying he's in the hall of fame, but you couldn't do it without him being like somebody being part of the ceremony and, and everything that goes along with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a fascinating, you know, depressingly so, but it's a fascinating story when you think about it because it's like, you know, his brother wants him in, uh, you know, they want him in. I mean, so many of his friends want him in, and and she's the one that's kind of standing in the way. And you you almost wonder if at some point, like, if if the kids aren't going to turn to her and say, like, you know, mom, like, this is. I, I don't try for one minute to to criticize her decision of course not you know like she feels this company is responsible for the death of her husband right and who are we to argue with that i mean there there's in a certain way like they were um 
you could say whatever you want about the situation, but I mean, is she still, you know, time doesn't heal all wounds and she's hurt and who yeah. are we to criticize? I, I just wish she would do it for no other reason than as wrestling fans. It's really the fans that are suffering by not having them there. Are you right? You know? it, would just be a, I, I, it would be lovely to celebrate him. That and night, he deserves to know? be celebrated. His yeah. career deserves to be celebrated. And Owen Hart as a human being deserves to be celebrated. Yes. By the yes. fans, you know? It's not and like I, Vince McMahon's going to induct him or, or Vince right. Russo or anything. You know, it's right, going to be right. whoever she wanted and whatever made her comfortable. But, you know, it's we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he would end up going on to talk about, uh, obviously, uh, uh, some of the, the gimmicks that he had. Uh, he did talk about sexual chocolate. One of the funnier moments of the evening uh, was when he started spitting game at Stephanie McMahon. Uh, I oh, that was, was hilarious. Great. Yeah. Um, I love and, when he said, uh, what's up with you, girl? You get married or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but one of the other things that, that was amazing, too, is the way that he talked to his family. Um, it was it was just, I don't know. It's it, 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 I, I, I'm going to be a father myself in July. Obviously, you're a father of three. Like, seeing the way that he talked about his kids and talked about his wife is just sort of like, I want to be I want to be that husband and father. You well, know? look at I mean he still has a lot left in the tank. He's retiring to spend more time with his family. Yeah, good yeah. for him. You know. Yeah, and uh, and his son was clearly having you know an oh, awesome his son was time enjoying the there. moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was just really really cool um, yeah. that that he was there and uh, and 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 yeah he looked great. He gave a great speech. It was it was heartfelt. There was some you know some tearful moments. There were some great laughs. It was it was the speech of the night, and uh, I, I think it's it's a well deserved moment for him uh, because whether or not I always liked watching a Mark Henry match, um, there were times when there's no doubt he was just one of the most entertaining guys, and 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 there's also no doubt that he could go out there and he could go for being a big oh, guy, yeah. and being a you know the power wrestler that he was. Like he he, he, he had some freak damn athleticism. Yeah, his athleticism for a man his size was freakish. Exactly. And he must have been a good guy because even Jim Cornette said they got this one right and how much he liked Mark Henry. And Jim yeah. Cornette hates everybody. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that'll bring us to uh, to Mr. Bill Goldberg. Um, I've always had such conflicted feelings about Bill Goldberg. I, you know, when the streak was building and he was starting to catch fire, I was one of those guys that didn't care. I liked I, him when he first was coming. Like coming I didn't, up, I did. Like yeah, when I didn't he had the streak, him. but he was kind of wrestling with Raven and those guys for the U.S. title. I, I like that. Um, then, like, I don't know. I was there the night he lost. I I don't blame them. I think I would have got him off the streak too. Yeah. And you know, like he's still bitter about it. Like yeah. he even made a comment about Kevin Nash beating him. That how smart that was and everything. Like, you know. You could say whatever you want. I mean, what Nash says was supposed to happen after him or whatever. But I was there that night. The, the crowd wanted Nash to win. The yeah. live audience wanted Nash to win. They did it in a way to protect him. Yeah. I mean, he, he got hit with the cattle prod, for Christ's sakes. It's not like uh, and he lost. And, the you know, like if they had positioned it a little better and he didn't get hurt, he didn't cut his arm up, smashing a limo's windows out. Yeah, um, it probably would have been better for him in the long run. But yeah. I just think he took himself a little too seriously. Yeah. 
you know. Well, clearly he did because he bashed his WWE run and talked about how it was a horrible time. And I got to be honest with you, going back and watching some of those no, matches. It's not that bad. No, it's not that bad. If anything, he probably was having, I mean, granted, he was in there with Triple H most of the time, but he was having some of the best matches he'd ever had in his entire short-lived career. I will say, at least, when he talked about that in his speech, he didn't make it sound like it was all their fault. He put plenty of blame on himself for that. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know, so that, that's fine. I just, they brought him into, they brought him in, and he wasn't this, you know, going to win every match machine. Right. And that didn't sit well with him, and, you know. It is what it is. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think everybody was happy, though, that at least he got to come back and do this one little run here with his family. And he generally seemed like he liked it and he was happy. And it was entertaining for what it was. It was. I mean, hell, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching him. I enjoyed seeing him back again. I, you know, I, I enjoyed the, the even the some of the weird promos. You know, there were a couple of moments in the promos that he was given where it's like he forgot his line or he, you know, whatever. Well, he, he, um, well, he definitely talked about the one time he came out and forgot his lines and where he was. Yeah, because he pre- pretty much gave himself a concussion, you know, but beat you know his what, head into the... At that point when he came back, the fans didn't care if he remembered no. where it was. I mean, that was actually him forgetting, admitting that he forgot was actually kind of charming in a way. It was. It, I think it endeared him to the fans a little bit. Well, I think the thing that the thing that happened to him that made that last run so enjoyable as a fan is he wasn't taking himself so seriously. You know, he didn't when I, I think when you get a guy like that who's clearly a competitive individual and you thrust them into the spotlight and you build them up to be this this monster. You know, it's it's easy to start taking yourself a little too seriously and start kind of living that gimmick, if you will. And because well, I mean, it's a classic that, case. It's a classic case of too much too soon. Yeah, you know, he kind of as 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 the I, I know this phrase gets thrown around a lot, especially on the internet and and everything. But he really, in a lot of ways, kind of you know, he kind of got worked into a shoot. You know what I mean? Like he thought that that he was that guy, and it ended up really kind of having an effect, especially towards the end of the WCW days, and and then during his first WWE run. You know, it was I think he did kind of have that attitude of like, hey, I'm Bill Goldberg, you don't mess with me. Whereas there's a lot of people in the locker room that are just sort of like, you've been in this business for three years, I've been doing this. For twenty, you know, I can yeah. wrestle circles around you. I don't give hey, a listen, shit how big and tough you are. A lot of people live their gimmick, but the problem is his gimmick was supposed to be this indestructible machine that can't lose. Right, and right, he bought right. into it. Like Ric Flair living his gimmick was a little different. Yeah, you know, <laughs> ain't that the truth? But, uh, um, th- that said, I thought the speech was good. I, I enjoyed the shout outs to DDP and Sting. I thought that those were well earned, well deserved. You know, shout outs for the two of those guys. Um, you know, I, I, I thought the speech did well. Again, did you know, he, he thank talk to his son? Did he thank Eric Bischoff? No, I don't think he did. Should he have thanked Eric Bischoff? <sighs> maybe, maybe. How do you not? He was basically handpicked, and the guy who ran the company gave him the best push of all time. And he didn't thank him. Now, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe it just slipped his. I, I don't know. Well, I think but, the thing for him is, is that he, you know, the truth of the matter is, is like Bischoff wasn't literally booking like the tail end of that streak and the in the in the win over Hogan and everything. I yeah. get that, but mm. right. there's no Bill Goldberg without <coughs> Eric Bischoff. Sure. Or at least what Goldberg became. Right. No, you're right. I don't you're know, it just struck right. me fun is funny. Yeah. 
But no, I, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I, and I agree with you. I think overall the speech was pretty good. Couple little digs there that he sent out that I don't think he needed to. No, uh, I don't think he needed to stoop to that level. But you know, who am I? He earned his spot up there. It's his stage. It's his right to say what he wants. It might be his last chance to say some of these things. But I just thought if he took away those few little digs at people, it would have came across a lot better. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. And, you, you know, I, I know that Hogan is kind of a touchy subject, but I was a little surprised, too, that he didn't maybe mention Hogan a little bit more because, you know. I mean, Hogan without... did the honor for him clean in front of how many thousands of people in the Georgia Dome. Yeah, absolutely. And, with, and from everything I've read about that, that was Hogan's idea. Yeah. 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 Oh. And, 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 you know, and I think it was it was in, in a lot of ways it was the right guy at the right time. I wouldn't necessarily have said that a month before it happened or a month after it happened. But when it happened, it was the right move. Um, you know, do you think it, it, you think it was more. the right move then or do, do they build that up and build that up for Starcade? Yes, of course. That's what they should have done without a doubt. I mean, they, they gave it away on free TV because they were more worried about TV ratings than pay-per-view buys. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, that's, that was the world, that was the world in which Bischoff was, was operating. in. so I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it, it is it, what it is. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's a I mean, moment in wrestling history that we always remember. Right. And, 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 and I guess what I, what I, what I meant by that is it worked that night. Do you know oh, what I, I mean? agree. Yeah, no, it, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's, it was perfect for when they did it. I, maybe they shouldn't have done it, but once they made the decision, it worked perfectly that night. Right. Right. So yeah. So there's the there's the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony 2018. Um, you know, it might be fun at some point uh, over the course of the the year, depending on what we got talking about. Maybe even visiting some of the old ones. Uh, just in retrospect, might be fun to do something like that. But you know, I, uh, I just had them up on um, the Hall of Fame inductees, the class up on Wikipedia while we were doing this. Yeah. And right above it, because I had scrolled down a little bit, I could see the Legacy Award for the year before. Oh yeah. Ricky Dozen was a legacy award. Oh man. Oh man. I, I'm yeah. just saying, I mean, you can say whatever you want about some of the other guys and we're not gonna go into a whole thing about it, but Ricky Dozen was a legacy award. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, I yeah, it's it's so strange. And and, and I, I guess I understand it in theory because the truth of the matter is is it's like who do you you know, who who would induct him? Who would, you know what I mean? Like, I don't no, know. No, I get it. I get it. But I'm just saying. It is, make make of it what you want, but he was a legacy award. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What do we got next? So let's uh, let's go to uh, Saturday during the day. Um, we're obviously, we're going to miss out on a lot of WrestleMania weekend, and there were some really cool moments, but unfortunately we haven't seen all of them, so I can't talk about Evolve as much as I would love to, uh, but some cool stuff happened, like uh, Matt Riddle beating Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, for the Evolve title, which I guess in relation to you know New Japan kind of news is very interesting because you have Zack Sabre Jr., who's on such a tear through the New Japan Cup main events with Okada, and then comes back to the States and drops title to um, Matt Riddle, uh, who you could argue is the best unsigned by New Japan or, or, or WWE or Ring of Honor performer on the face of the planet right now. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not saying he is, but he's in the conversation. But he's definitely in the conversation. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's it, it, but it, I think it's a it's a cool moment. You know that that uh, yeah. that that happened. Um, it was surprising. I, I didn't watch the show. I actually you tweeted or texted me the info. Um, I would have loved to have watched it, but to be honest with you, to watch everything that was on this weekend, I would have needed a month of nobody bothering me <laughs> and an unlimited budget to pay for all these streams. But yeah, I know, right? Actually, you know, WWN did do a really cool thing where. 
I think if you paid like 90 bucks or something, you got access to all of their shows, which I thought was a really cool idea yeah. because it gave you like, it gave you like damn near 30 hours of wrestling or something. Um, but, uh, as I might've mentioned in the last episode, I'm a big women's wrestling fan. Um, I, you know, I live in Chicago, so I get to go to Shimmer and, and, and now Rise, which is a newer promotion, kind of sister promotion to Shimmer. Um, and so I was excited about Shimmer 100. Um, it's funny because Dave Prezak, who, you know, is the, the owner and booker of Shimmer, uh, he had said uh, kind of a few months back when, when some Shimmer fans were sort of complaining about the fact that uh, Chicago wasn't going to get Shimmer 100. He was like, it's just a number. It's just a number. Um, that said, uh, they ended up having a great show. I'm not going to talk in, in super detail because we obviously want to get to TakeOver and Mania, but uh, they opened things up with uh, the team of Blue Nation, Charlie Evans and Jessica Troy, uh, defeating Chelsea Green and Britt Baker, who are fire and nice. Um, these both of these teams are, are, are just great teams. Um, now, a, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Is Britt Baker the one who's dating Adam Cole? Yes, she is. Okay, yep. she yeah. was on that Global Force show that I was talking about earlier, the local show. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's she's great. She's, she's a real sweetheart. You know, I've, I've I've had the opportunity to actually to meet to meet all four of them, um, and they're you know they're all really nice. And uh, you know, I mean, Chelsea is like just legit, you know, has, has a great charisma and, um, uh, you know, is just a really sweet person and, and clearly works her ass off. The first time I ever saw her, uh, she got, uh, uh, got her nose busted open and, and is like, you know, just bleeding all over the place. And, you know, I, I say this not because, you know, I'm trying to be like some misogynistic pig over here or anything, but she's, she's a very pretty girl. And, and to see her like, just also be extremely tough, you know, and her nose is bleeding and she's wrestling, you know, for another five, 10 minutes or whatever. It's just sort of like, okay, she's, she's, she's in that, you know what I mean? She's not, she's not out there to try to be a model or try to be a diva or whatever, you know, like some of the women used to be all due respect, you know, she's there to wrestle. Um, so all four of these women are, are damn good workers. Um, and blue nation, winning was kind of a surprise just because they've not actually won a lot of matches in rise and shimmer uh but uh it was yeah it was, it was, it was a pretty good match it was a good opener um and there was a, a six-person tag. You had Mia Yim, who was making her return to the ring in Shimmer after uh, suffering a knee injury, um, uh, along with Kaylee Ray, who's probably one of my favorite female wrestlers on the planet right now, and Rhea O'Reilly, who also hadn't been around in Shimmer. She had an injury a while back, uh, and uh, she's an Irish wrestler, so she's been uh, wrestling mostly over uh, in the U.K., um, but uh, she'll be back uh, this weekend also for Shimmer Weekend. And they defeated Kelly Ann, Veda Scott, and Zoe Lucas. Uh, Zoe Lucas is someone to watch. She's a UK wrestler, and uh, having seen her last Shimmer weekend, just a great performer um, uh, and young. And she's only like 19 or 20, I think. Um, but uh, it was good to see Mia Yim back in the ring. Eh, there were a couple of, uh, of spots in the, in the match that didn't quite work, but uh, overall still still fun match. Uh, Kimberly made her return um, to the Shimmer ring after being uh, let go. She was Abby Lath in NXT, uh, and after being released, she's already you know been on the independent circuit, but it was good to see her back in Shimmer because she'd been a former tag team champion there. Uh, she was also the former grand champion in Chikara. Um, so she's a good indie worker. She, she uh, defeated Samantha Heights. Um, and Samantha Heights is someone who every time I see her, she gets better. Um, so it was, it was cool to see her in the ring with somebody like Kimberly and they had a good little match. Um, 
tag team title match with Leva Bates and Delilah Doom uh, retaining the titles against Lufisto and Hudson Envy. Uh, I, I mean, you just got four damn good talents in the ring in this one. I mean, Leva Bates is blue pants in NXT. Um, she's just got a lot of personality, fun cosplays in all of her matches. Um, and uh, Delilah Doom is another really fun personality, good worker. She's actually the Phoenix of Rise champion um, right now, as well as being a Shimmer Tag champion. Uh, they were uh, cosplaying as uh, Double Dragon, red and blue from Double Dragon, which was great. Uh, and then Lufisto is, is, I mean, she's a, a damn near a legend. I mean, she's been working for... Well, like 15 years plus now and uh, is as tough as nails um, just one hell of a good worker uh, you know has done a lot of intergender wrestling as well as uh, women's wrestling and her partner Hudson Envy is, is someone who I really really like her strikes are, are just so solid she, she's got some amazing like kicks and knees that she does um, then we get really in my opinion you know those first four matches were good but now we really start to get into a great run here with uh cheerleader melissa defeating shotzi blackheart uh melissa's i mean she is a legend in women's wrestling she's wrestled all over the world um and has actually been uh is a um inductee i think two-time inductee into the cauliflower alley club uh initially as like future legend and then uh, i think she was also inducted as like they've got a women component or whatever so she's been in there twice she's also uh been on lucha underground as mariposa uh wrestling under a mask um and she got a win back here uh shotzi blackheart actually had beat her surprisingly uh in a match uh about a year ago i think um and shotzi is, is probably one of the most charismatic uh indie wrestlers not just women wrestlers but indie wrestlers that i know she has so much charisma uh and, and she's really good in the ring um uh, Hell, hell of a talent. I, I really like her a lot. Um, match of the night was Madison Eagles uh, defeating Deanna Parasso. Uh, it was the match was so technical and so mat based. Just, I mean, the, the grappling was incredible. It reminded me so much of like Okada and Zack Saber Jr. Not because they were doing the same spots, but just because. They were they were working holds so much and and Madison was mostly in charge of this but when Deanna would kind of upset her it was great because you've got Madison Eagles who's this sort of wily veteran a legend in the Australian wrestling scene um, has been a, a shimmer uh, champion uh, and it's just I mean she's an incredible talent she's like six foot one so she's she's huge uh, next to a lot of these other women um, but she's she's great uh, one of my favorite wrestlers um, and Deanna is is also incredible so they put on a hell of a match it came to a sudden conclusion which i thought was brilliant the way the match had been worked because it's all these holds and submissions and then all of a sudden uh madison just clocked diana with like this stiff right hand and and just dropped her to the mat and pinned her one two three so it was really really cool tony storm made her shimmer debut dave prazak even mentioned in commentary about how he's been trying to get her forever uh well he got her mania weekend and it was a hell of a fun match with her and nicole matthews uh of course tony storm won because you know she's got like 40 belts so uh you're not going to bring her in just to get her beat not even by the shimmer taker uh which is nicole matthews nickname because she's kind of like locker room leader she's been there uh since almost the beginning 
of Shimmer. Uh, and then the Heart of Shimmer title match. This was surprising to me. Uh, the champion, Shaza McKenzie, retained her title by defeating Tessa Blanchard. It was surprising for two reasons. The last time Tessa was in Berwyn for uh, Shimmer, she and her partner, Vanessa Craven, lost the tag team titles to Delilah Doom and Leva Bates, and then went on to have a quick little feud um, that they blew off in day two. Because when Shimmer tapes, they tape sh- four shows in two days. So oftentimes you'll get to see like a feud play out from the beginning of the weekend to the end of the weekend, um, which can be a lot of fun. Um, but it was surprising because the vibe was, and it was even mentioned by a couple of the wrestlers that they were losing Tessa, which made me and many other people, Meltzer even talked about it, I think, think that she was going to NXT. And it looked like it was a foregone conclusion. She started saying she wasn't taking dates after a certain time. And then all of a sudden, a tweet came out like a week or two later saying, I'm open to bookings, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, here she was, Mania Weekend, uh, on Shimmer. And so it was surprising for that reason. And then it was also surprising because I thought, you're bringing her in. She's taking on for, like, the secondary title. The Heart of Shimmer Championship is, like, you know, the IC Bell or U.S. title. And... I think myself and a lot of other fans were like new champ. She's going to, she's going to win the belt. You know, that's one of the reasons she's back. She's going to get a singles run now. Uh, it was interesting because it seemed like she had a little bit of a face turn at the end of the match. She's been a heel traditionally in shimmer, but uh, at the end of the match, she was kind of like, you know, waving to fans and thanking the fans and everything. And uh, uh, so who knows? I, it'll be interesting to see what she does this weekend. Uh, and then the main event was uh, the shimmer champion, Nicole Savoy, retaining her title against Mercedes Martinez. Uh, who she beat uh, on the last show uh, of Shimmer Weekend in November in, in, in a great run. Uh, again, like I said, stories sometimes play out over the weekend in those four shows, and they had a really great story that weekend. Uh, and Nicole Savoy went from being, you know, kind of one of the more despised heels in Shimmer to being the literally the face of Shimmer because now she's the Shimmer champ, and she retained the title in this rematch with Mercedes Martinez. And Martinez is one of the best. I mean, she's, she's great and uh, has been... Um, you know, wrestling for like 16, 17 years. So, uh, brings a lot to the table and, uh, and they, they had a good match. Um, so yeah, there you have it. So, uh, yeah, uh, I hate to, to sort of monopolize the time here, PJ. I want you no, to get that was okay. There, but that uh, was okay. Um, I'm thinking before we get to NXT though, I want to give a little rundown of what happened at the ROH Supercard of Honor show. Yeah, please do. Because I got to watch this. Um, truth be told, I did not watch the pre-show stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it was Kelly Klein defeated Mayu Watani, and uh, Sumi Sasaki defeated Tanil Dashford, who, who was um, Emma in yes. WWE, and they were the two semifinal matches of the Women of Honor's Championship Tournament. Um, just a real quick rundown, Chucky e. T defeated Jonathan Gresham in a singles match. Nice. Um, you know, it was it was basically what you would expect the Chucky e. T match to be. Um, right. I was surprised right. a little bit because Punishment Martinez beat Tomohiro Ishii. Um, yeah. You know, it was it was a hard hitting match. It was, you know, I shouldn't have been surprised because Punishment Martinez is the ROH guy, and it makes sense for him to go over there. Um, and, he, and, and I think it is clear that he seems to be set up for a pretty big push. Yeah, like they're, they're, yeah. they're definitely putting the uh, the rocket pack on him at some point. Yeah. Um, you had Kota Ibushi defeat Hangman Page. Which I'm not. I wasn't surprised at the outcome, but when I saw the whole play, sh- the whole show play out, I was a little surprised yeah. they did that. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Sumi Sake defeated Kelly Klein, so she's your inaugural Women of Honor champion. 
Um, Which is cool. It feels like a good reward for her in a lot of ways because she has been the sort of the stalwart of the ROH women's division for these past, like, you know, three, four years or whatever. And plus, yeah, she's got, and she's got honest, to be under 20 years in the business. Yeah, and when they first announced all this, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to wind up putting some brandy or something. Right. But I just figured, you know, but no, they, they did it right. Yeah. Um, then there was a, a pretty entertaining ladder match for the six-man title between SoCal Uncensored. Uh, they beat the Young Bucks and Flip Gordon. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed that match. Um, you know, they made you, they teased enough that the Young Bucks and Flip were going to win to make you care about how the match played out. Um, but, you know, it was, it, at the end of the day, SoCal Uncensored retained their belts, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, then you had a tag team match for the ROH champion with the Briscoes defeating Jay Lethal and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Always fun to see Tanahashi on American soil. Absolutely. But before... This match even happened. I remember I was talking to you about it. You said, well, the one thing I know there is Jay Lethal's eating the pinfall. And lo and behold, <laughs> Jay Lethal ate the pinfall. Yeah. Because they weren't, yeah. I mean, they weren't going to have Tanahashi come over and, and eat the pin. But they, you could tell they were keeping the belt on the Briscoes. Yeah. Um, you had the ROH television title match where Silas Young defeated Kenny King. The big takeaway there was before the match started, Austin Aries came out and said that, again, because he had done it at the last show, um, he wanted the ROH World Television Championship and that he was going to come down to ringside. And um, I think he's up to five belts now he has with them. Yeah. Um, then we get to the real meat and potatoes of the show where you had Cody win over Kenny. Yeah. Um, but the way they did it made perfect sense. Um, yeah. I, for anybody who didn't see, it looked like the Young Bucks finally made up their mind what they're going to do. It looked like they were going to team with Kenny. And they went to hit a double super kick on Cody. They, they teased a little bit about w- which way they could have really been thinking. But it looked like they were going to quit Cody. Cody ducks. They hit Kenny. Cody capitalizes, pin, you know, rolls him up. One, two, three. Out of the ring. After the match, the Young Bucks are t- trying to talk to Kenny. Kenny's distraught. Matt turns Kenny around to offer him a hug. Kenny shoves Matt and leaves. Yeah. So they're continuing with the storyline. Um, we'll see how yeah, this plays out. A, a being the elite finale episode. Yeah, like, I was yes. going to say. Now I haven't seen it yet. I was going to try to watch I. it today, but it's almost a half hour long. Yeah. Which I will watch it, but you know that's not going to be the finale because right. there's no way they're going to not use that with the all in event because that's their biggest promotional tool. But I love how they're just teasing that the elite are done and bullet club and they're and just like what we were talking about earlier this plays right into some of the matches on those rodent tentaku cards how they're gonna you know everybody in the bullet club is gonna have to take sides it just you know well well done logical thought out slow burn yeah i know can you can you imagine and i mean the, the the caliber of talent is completely different as well but we've been talking a little about some old school wrestling as well but could you imagine had wcw been able to kind of plot out a similar course for nwo what they would have actually been able to do and yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. could have went forever was, i mean they the could have done NWO, that black and white wolf pack thing yes but it was like it was done so poorly in the long run. Whereas, yeah, this has been such a slow burn, so perfectly just, it's, you know, chapter by chapter by chapter. And, and, and the amazing it, thing stories. about, the amazing thing about this whole is it's being done over two different promotions mm-hmm. and a YouTube show. Yep. And it's all working in unison to tell this story. 
and it's got you know the point where like you can't wait to see what happens next. And I, and what's odd for a wrestling angle is I really don't have any idea what they're how they're gonna end this. No, I mean I could I could see this with Cody out of the Bullet Club and Kota Bushi in. I could see where. My initial my initial thought to this whole thing was eventually this is just going to set up where Kenny and Cody win something. Cody is celebrating on Kenny's shoulders and bang, one winged angel. He's going to screw him. But now I don't. You know, I mean, they could go any way they want with this, and I'm not sure which way they're going to go, right. which makes it exciting. Now you don't oh, see yeah. a lot of that. Right. And, uh, and even but, more than that, even yeah. more than that, the beautiful thing that they've set up, and I don't mean this to sound like. It doesn't matter. It's not important because, of course, it does. But it's um, how do I want to say this? Well, I'll just say it almost doesn't matter what the end game is because the story in itself is so intriguing. And again, yeah, that's not to say that this the is, end isn't important. Oh, I agree. But it's yeah. all about the journey at this point, right? And I, but have no I will doubt say that this: the ending is satisfactory. Well, that's what I'm saying. As long as the ending, it doesn't have to be world. You know, it doesn't have to be trend setting or anything like that. It just has to be at least satisfactory. But I don't think they've gotten to this point without no having an idea where this is going to go. So, right, right. You know, but that's that's going to be awesome to see where this goes. Like up through um, the Dantaku card, you know, this is going to go up through dominion. This is probably going to go all the way through G one. I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the finals of the G one or Kota versus Kenny. Yeah. Well, and, it wouldn't and, you shock know, and, me at all. And it wouldn't, and, and the beauty of that is it wouldn't shock me if either one of them won. No, no, definitely not. And, 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 you know, in addition to that, uh, I think that, and I don't even think that this is the end game. Uh, I think that, this is kind of what all in is going to be about in some ways. That's another thing. Like we're talking about how they're doing it over two promotions and a YouTube show. They're also using their own show as part of this. Yeah. And, and the amazing thing is ROH and new Japan are just, they're like, seem to be completely on board with this, which you texted me the other day. Okada is booked out for all in. Yep. I'm so excited about that. And You know, if Okada's coming in for that, there's gotta be some other big names from Japan coming. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it's going to be a full on uh, New Japan like invasion, but I would not be shocked if some other I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of the Bullet Club members are in there because this could be how this all wraps up. Right. But we'll yeah. see. We'll see how where this goes. I'm looking forward to it. I sure as hell hope they announce, you know, when ticket sales are going to be soon so well, better we'll because we're know. going. Yes, we I, are. I am the lucky individual who my friend and co-host happens to live in Chicago. <laughs> so, and, and not only, I think we said this last week, uh, not only am I coming out to visit you, your wife, and my then child. Yeah. Um, we're also going to two nights, then two nights before, we're going to the AAW shows. Right, yeah, the 30th so, and the 31st. It's always, it's, it's going to be a pleasure to get out and see you again. Plus, we're going to some awesome wrestling. It's going to be great. Well, the thing is, is like, they already, I mean... Obviously, they already have to know uh, a lot more people who are going to be involved because Danny Daniels, who's the the, the owner promoter for um, AAW, uh, 
you know, has has basically already said that it's going to be you know two of the biggest nights in, in AAW's history, uh, just with the names that they're going to be able to have access to. Uh, well, so you've that, got to figure how many people are going to be in town for the All In show. We're going to take bookings the night or two nights before just right. to make a couple extra bucks while they're already there. Exactly. I mean, you you have a lot of these people. Like, if you try to get Okada onto an AAW show right now, right? You don't have to pay for for him to bring him in. Right, he's already there. That's a great point. That's a great he's point. He's already there. He's going to be there for the whole weekend, probably. So you're just going to pay him a booking fee to show up at the show. Yeah, you yeah. know. And so I, we'll you know, see how this all plays out. And I was mentioning to you, and this isn't, you know, this isn't. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but like within the span of a year, I'm going to have gotten the opportunity to see Suzuki Kushida. Um, uh, I'm leaving people out, uh, but you know, obviously, like Marty Naito. Skrull and Kenny Omega, Naito, Liger. Um, uh, Basically, Yoshi you're going to see. You're seeing everybody who's everybody except Tanahashi so except, far. Yeah, except so you got to be sitting there keeping your fingers crossed that Tanahashi's going to be there. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, I, I sure as hell wouldn't complain. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm looking forward oh, to that. I, okay. Oh, oh no! I was going to say before we get on the next thing, I, I do want to mention there was one more match on that card. Oh yes, that's right, the title Which, match. I was shocked the order they did the match because every promotional piece, the poster, everything is all about Cody and Kenny and the Young Bucks and everything. But to their credit, and I'm a big fan of this, I think the title match should always try to close the show unless it's something unforeseen, like the Undertaker's last match or something. But um, Dalton Castle defend against Marty Skrull in what I thought was a real good match. Oh, I don't I, doubt. I mean, they, they I enjoyed great. it. Um, I was, and I, you know, I don't want to dwell on it too much because I talked about him last week. But a lot of these things I watch with my son, who's a big wrestling fan. He, this was his first time watching Ring of Honor. Now he knows a lot of these guys from New Japan. Yeah, but uh, this was his first time seeing Dalton Castle. Yeah, and he had no idea what to make of it. He didn't get heads <laughs> or tails. He was looking at me and looking at the TV like he wanted to ask. And then finally he, he asked the question that I figured that was coming. Yeah. But in in what, you know, is a good sign and maybe hope for the future, he said, is this guy gay? Yeah. And I said, I don't know exactly. They don't say. Yeah. And he just said, okay, cool. And watched the show. <laughs> like, that I don't think good. it mattered to him either way. He just was trying to process what he was watching. Sure. And then, like, when he does the one move, I, I forget what Marty was going to do. I think he was going to do the chicken wing. Uh-huh. And Dalton does that that posture, what do they call it, peacock feathers? Yeah, the, the peacocking, yeah. Yeah, he was peacocking. My son's like, what was that? <laughs> but it was entertaining, and it was good, and it was a really good match. I was just shocked it went on last, but, you know, good for Ring of Honor. Yeah, good I would agree. That. It's you know it's it's their way of just kind of saying the most important thing is the title you know it's it's that we we can absolutely say that the draw is Kenny Omega versus and that's Cody fine Rhodes. I, I I think they should all do that like if you have a match that's going to be a huge draw use that because nobody's going to walk out then you know when the main event starts right no nobody that came there saw Kenny and Cody and that was why they came decided oh well I'm leaving yeah I know the ROH title matches here and anybody who's following Cody and Kenny is probably watching being the elite or the fans of the bullet club aren't going to walk out. They're going to want to see if Marty wins the title. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without so, a doubt. But all I could say for ring of honor was good for them. It was, it was a good show. It kept the ball moving. And how they cool definitely is this? didn't do themselves any disservice with this show. 
Yeah, I know. I, I would totally agree, and I think it's also the other thing that's really cool about it is it wasn't a it wasn't a pay per view. I mean, yes, you had to pay to watch it, but if you were an Honor Club member, no matter what like tier you were, you could watch it because it was not considered to be one of their pay per views, like Final Battle or you know what I mean. And I thought that that was kind of classic. The only thing is, I read after apparently a lot of the people that did the Honor Club thing they had horrible, horrible problems with their stream. Ah, that sucks. And, um, you know, there wasn't much they could do. Um, to, to Ring of Honor's credit, they did acknowledge there was a problem. Yeah. They gave them um, basically free credit for the merchandise yeah. online. And um, But s- since it's not really considered a pay-per-view, it was an add-on show to the package. They're not going to give you money back, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I would love... The, the join the honor club and I would do the whole year long one. I just wish I could pay for it monthly. Like, I yeah. don't care. Like if they, even if I had to sign a thing where they were going to bill me every month for the year and I couldn't, I, then I had the option to renew right. it or not. Right. I would do it, but it's just not that I'm poor by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm not wealthy enough that I can just drop a hundred and whatever much it was a hundred bucks or whatever at one shot. And my wife will kill me. Like, you know what I mean? I'm already <laughs> yeah. dropping 10 bucks a month for the WWE network. I'm dropping whatever it is, nine bucks a month for the, for new Japan. New Japan and, yeah. and I think if I spend another 10 bucks a month for honor club, she'd be okay with it. But if she turns around and the debit card or the hundred credit card has a hundred and some dollar charge on it for wrestling. She's going to be not sure. happy. Sure. So I wish uh. they just did that. Cause if you remember like when the WWE network first came out, it was nine ninety nine a month, but there wasn't a month to month membership. Right. To get the pay-per-views and all that, like WrestleMania, because they were afraid people were going to sign up and then cancel, you would have signed up for six months. Right. But they billed you each month. Yeah. But, yeah. I No, I, I agree. It is It is hard. Hey, it's it's kind of a hard thing to, to swallow because you get, you know, I, I understand why they're doing it, and I get that it's to kind of bump it up to the to the next level for, for subscribers. But my biggest complaint about Honor Club is the fact that the content only goes back to about 2009, I think. And arguably yeah. the best years of ROH. I'm sorry. All due respect to all of the talent that's there right now. Yeah, I want to go on. If I'm going to pay that kind of money, I know what you're saying. I want to go yeah. back and watch Brian Danielson matches. Right. Against I want to I, I watch, Joe or I, Seth Rollins. I, I want to watch Punk versus Joe one, two, and three. You know, I mean, I want to see. I want to see Kobashi versus Joe. I want to see when Ring of Honor was putting on. You know, four and a half and five star matches on a pretty consistent basis. You know, I want to see the Brian Danielson uh, Nigel McGuinness feud. You know, I want to see Takashi well, Morishima. You know, and, and and I think that. It's just a damn shame that but they're not the capitalizing thing. on that. I, I agree, but here's here's what I would say to that. Um, yes, it would be great if that stuff was there. But I think your average fan, and let's, let's face it, they're adding fans every day. They're trying to expand. It's the same reason a lot most people get New Japan World. It's to watch the events live. Right. Like, like when I sit down, I love all the back stuff they have in New Japan World. But sometimes I like the fact that it's there more than I like the fact of actually going back and watching it, if that makes yeah. any sense. Like, I like to have that option, but I'm paying the 999 yen a month for New Japan World so I can watch the events going forward. Anything on top of that is icing on the cake. Like, and the, even the WWE Network, 
their back catalog is fantastic. But I can't tell you how many times I go back and watch old pay-per-views. I might go back and, like, if I see, a, like, a shoot interview on YouTube and somebody talks about something that happened in a match, I might go back and watch it. Like, perfect example was I was watching, I don't know if it was Cornette's podcast or whatever, and they were talking about Buzz Sawyer breaking his arm in a match Yeah, in, in WCW. And I was sitting there watching the uh, Cornette show through the Xbox anyway. I'm like, well, I'll fire it up and watch the match yeah. just to see. Like, stuff like that is convenient. But how many times have you sat down and watched entire pay-per-views from years ago? I mean, I'm not saying I haven't done it, but I, I, I like the back catalog of TV shows more than I do the pay-per-views. I know that sounds silly. Like, I, no, I, I want to. same way. As soon as they add more, I want, my goal is to watch in an order in its entirety all of WCW 1989. Yeah. Because it's their best year, and unfortunately, the network only has the TV shows till through July. Yeah. But um, when they add more of that, like, but like we were talking the other day, like, wow, they added Thunder. That's great. I put the first Thunder on, skipped ahead to the main event, was laughing at what it was, and I haven't gone back since. Yeah. No, no, but I'm, you know, I will say that I'm glad. That I'm sorry. That was my Saturday rant for the... No, no, no. I, I, but I, I do, I, I do understand where you're coming from, and I would agree. I think that that is that's the and, main. And for like a ten dollar a month price point, isn't it? Like, even the WWE Network, if it didn't have all that back catalog, people would still pay the ten dollars because they're basically getting all the pay per views for ten bucks a month instead of fifty. Sure. So yeah. everything you get on top of that is just a bonus. Right, and I don't disagree with that at all. I, 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 I totally disagree. And this is from the same from. person who last episode was complaining about lack of back catalog on New Japan World. But <laughs> so I, I contradict myself sometimes, but Yeah. No, I mean I'm I'm a, look, I'm a huge fan of, of of the fact that we're even getting this type of the stuff that the fact that we can even have a conversation about what we like or don't like about Ring of Honor having its own um streaming service that has a back catalog, even if it's not the entirety of their shows, uh it, it is worth, you know, celebrating. And that's going to do it for this episode of the King of Pro Wrestling podcast. Join us next time as we dive into TakeOver and WrestleMania in full. Uh, of course, if you're listening to us for our New Japan-related content, you'll be glad to know that we're going to be dropping another episode later this week covering the first three shows of Road to Dantaku uh, and also, of course, chatting about some of the other news and notes, including Kitamura and uh, a few other odds and sods here and there might even get in in a uh, segment that we're going to be doing looking back at some uh, matches that you can find on New Japan World that we uh, highly recommend uh, and we look forward to your feedback about that. So again, uh, check out that next episode if you're interested in hearing our thoughts on NXT TakeOver and WrestleMania. Otherwise, be on the lookout for our episode three, which will be again New Japan Pro Wrestling focused. Uh, The WrestleMania episode won't have uh, an episode number. It'll just be a special drop. Uh, Also on the next episode, very very excited. We got to interview um, author Pat LaProd uh, about his involvement with the Andre the Giant documentary and also have a, a quick interview with Shotzi Blackheart from Shimmer Weekend, uh, which was a, a fun time. So not strictly New Japan related, but certainly I think of interest to a lot of our listeners. So thanks so much. And we look forward to you guys joining us again next time on King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. Mm-hmm.